Let's go inside the vault, the design vault. They wanted a spacious two-car garage with a mudroom, and then they liked to entertain. So a combined living room, dining room, and then a big kitchen. They love to cook. And then a beautiful two-story family room that's all done out of 100-year-old Monty Pine. A beautiful room that some people think looks like a small chapel. This is my guest, Lauren Rose. I'll share more about him shortly. Today, we're going to talk about Lauren's Tudor home in Toronto. The neighborhood has a number of aesthetically diverse architectural gems from the turn of the century, including a traditional Tudor that served as inspiration. Lauren's Tudor home features a variety of signature Tudor brick patterns from diagonal and herringbone to basket weave. The traditional half-timber boardwork has been replaced with stone, and a carved stone belt course that runs across the front facade separates stone veneer at the base. Steep gables dance across all facades, giving it order and magnifying the Tudor style. The roof is cedar shingle, and the overhangs are traditional. The rear of the house has a spacious covered porch with wonderful wood details, and the opposite side features a carved stone entry and a large wood and glass front door. The front landscape is organized, yet slightly whimsical with a U-shaped drive. The backyard, in contrast, has an oval-shaped lawn area surrounded by garden walls, apple trees, and a vegetable garden. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. Lauren Rose Architect was established in Toronto in 1995 as Rose Bigoskis Architects, Inc. In 2000, his firm became Lauren Rose Architect. Lauren had an idea long ago, at the age of 10 in fact, that he wanted to be an architect. He eventually attended the Ohio State University, receiving his Bachelor of Science in Architecture and his Master's Degree from the University of Michigan. In his practice, Lauren prides himself as hands-on and intimately involved in every residential architecture project that comes through the door, down to the last detail. Lauren's firm has completed many projects, including work in the United States and Canada. Lauren lives in Toronto with his family. He also coaches hockey travels, and loves photography. Welcome, Lauren. Nice to have you with us today. So tell us a little bit about Lauren Rose Architect in Toronto. So where are you guys located in Toronto? What's the size of the firm and what type of work do you do? First of all, thank you for having me. So we are a small boutique firm. The architectural side, we are myself and two others right now. We do have an interior design firm called Nazan Rose Design. I've recently taken on my sign partner, who is going to be a partner in the architectural firm. So the architectural side, right now, it's three of us. And then in the interior design side, there's probably about seven. And then support staff, counting, receptions. And do you do only residential work? We're known for our residential work, but we do do some commercial work, some community work in terms of residential neighborhoods. Oftentimes, it's my residential clients who ask me to do some of their subdivision work or commercial work for them. We are located in Forest Hill neighborhood. Our office is kind of unique. It's really just like a house, except in this case, the kitchen's on the third floor and offices, basement, ground, and second. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Your original firm was started in 1995, then transitioned in 2000. Tell us a little bit about that and then your role in the office currently. So... I made the jump. I was turning 30, just got pregnant with our first son, and decided it was time to leave the firm that I was at. Andrew Bogoskis set me up in business, 
taught me a lot, worked together with him for many years. He was specialized in condo work, high-rise work, but I specialized in the residential. And it's really my passion. I love dealing with the clients, hands-on. The turnaround of projects is a little quicker. You're not working on a condo for two years or plus. So we sort of finally decided that he had no interest in the small residential, which was my passion. So we just separated the firms. Still worked out of the same office until I moved to my new office about six years ago in Forestal Village. So he's still practicing architecture as well. Andrew has actually, I think, retired. Some of his associates have taken it over. That firm's called Raphael Augustus, and they're quite successful. Still friendly with him. That's great. Now, you had mentioned residential contracts. I'm always curious, most of the jobs that you take on residential projects, how long do they take from kind of start to finish? Client walks in the door to they got the keys to the front door. Right. So typically, I'll tell a client, the municipal process in here is can be quite long. So from the day they hire me to the day they put a shovel in the ground, could be anywhere from six to 12 months. Used to take 10 to 12 months to build a house, but since COVID hit, Toronto may be different than other cities that exploded here. We've never been more busy than we were during COVID. So you're looking at 12 to 18 months to build a home here now. I mean, it's kind of surprising as a U.S. citizen, I always hear about how expensive Canada is and Toronto's extraordinary, isn't it? It is extraordinary beyond belief. It's surprisingly the fourth largest city in North America. I've been wrong about everything during COVID. We thought the market would crash. Interest rates were extremely low and people were just buying up homes. People were tired of their own homes. They would renovate or they would actually, surprisingly, they loved their neighbors. They decided tear down their perfectly good house because the cost of getting an agent, what we have here called land transfer tax, when you buy a new home, you pay tax on new land. People said, you know what? I love my street. I love my neighborhood. I'm going to tear down this somewhat good home and build a new home. So the industry exploded. It's very, very expensive to build a house in Toronto because the trades have had it too good for too long. It seems to be slowing down a little bit now, but as I said, I'd be wrong about everything during COVID. <laughs> You're not alone. I'm not going to make predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to talk about a Tudor home project that you did. What was the year that it was built and approximately where is it? So it's in the Park neighborhood. It was 13 years ago that my clients moved in. So we probably started it 15 years ago. It's in a neighborhood or a street that did not have many new houses on it. The owner moved a block east. They lived in a Tudor house that they renovated and then decided to do a new Tudor house on this lot. Since that time, the street has exploded and there are probably six, seven houses under construction on the street, many of which I am doing, which is nice. I don't do all of them. So there was nothing on the property when you built that house? There was an okay Tudor-style home. In Toronto, land is at a premium and people are buying perfectly good homes and tearing them down. The home that was there did not meet the client's needs. So we tore it down and designed a new house. And how big was the lot? In Toronto, we go by frontage, which is very different in the States. So it was a 64-foot lot by 175 feet deep. That 100-foot dimension, is that the entire length or just the street front? 175 feet long. Front to back. Yeah. 64 feet wide. The street is predominantly 50-foot lots. So this is probably the widest lot on the street. 
might be one or two others, 60 footers beside it, I think. And then there's a few 40 footers. That's how we call them here 50 footers, 40 footers. What were the programmatic requirements for the clients? Most important things were a two car garage with a mudroom, attached garage. Previous house they had had a detached garage and they never parked a car in it because it was at the back of the property. And as you know, we deal with a lot of snow here at times. So shoveling the driveway, all that. And then people put junk in their, in their garages. So they wanted a spacious two-car garage with a mudroom. And then they like to entertain. So a combined living room, dining room. The living room here is going a little bit the way of the dodo bird these days. We're finding people aren't using them. They usually have the most expensive furniture and nobody sits in them. They sit in their family room or great room. This family needed a combined living room dining room because they like to have dining parties. So they can expand their dining table into the living room. Living room has a piano, a chess table. That's it. It's, it's mostly there just to expand for family occasions, holidays, where they can host larger dinner parties. And then a big kitchen. They love to cook. A great pantry. It's about five feet by 14 feet long. Very well organized with an extra fridge, a whole wall of spices and sauce, jars, space. And then a beautiful two-story family room that's all done out of 100-year-old naughty pine. It was a dream of the homeowner to do a room out of 100-year-old naughty pine. So it was all barn boards carved and planted down to create a beautiful room that some people think looks like a small chapel. So how many square feet is the house total? The home is about 5,000 square feet. Four bedrooms, four baths. They had two children and the wife was from the States. So they often had family coming to the visitor's suite and a homework lunch. That's awesome. A homework lunch. Does it get used? It did before the kids moved out. And now it's used by the husband for doing some of his hobby work. So in plan then, when I looked at the elevations of the building, it looks like a large rectangle. Is that correct? Or is it way more complex than that? It is. The floor plan is garage on the, on the left side, looking at the home, uh, an office across the front door, and then the bay window, that is the piano area in the living room. There's actually a garden shed at the back, which is attached to the house, could have been turned into a cabana, but the homeowner took out a pool because they didn't need it. So it's a garden shed. They like to garden. So is the site completely flat? No unique topographic features? Pretty much flat. So much so that the homeowner had to do two huge drainage pits to ensure that drainage worked. The area has a lot of clay in the soil, so it doesn't drain that well. So this next question is going to be interesting because I'm sure it's at least a little different from the U.S. What were the project restrictions like? Zoning codes, et cetera. There were variances to the bylaw. We were required to have five-foot side yard setbacks. We have four-foot side yard setbacks. The density in this neighborhood go by 35% of the lot area is what you can have in gross floor area. We were slightly over, not very common in the area to go over. 35 is antiquated. Most homes are going to be 50 across the street. We did renovation on a smaller lot, but we were at 90% density. So not uncommon to get the variance for the density. And how many stories? Two stories. Uh, a lot of people thought it had a third story. It could have had a third story, but the family didn't need more space. The covered porch was another very important requirement for the family and served them very well during COVID. Like some parts of the United States where people weren't as uh, observant of the rules, 
Canadians, I could say, were quite observant. So it was a great place, covered porch with heaters for entertaining in the fall, even in the winter on a warmer day, family could entertain outside with guests. Nice barbecuing area, a dining area, and a sitting area. So tell us a little bit about the style choice. You had said that the neighborhood had a Tudor-style home that you really liked before you designed this one. Yeah, there were some Tudor, a lot of post-war architecture. Toronto's very much influenced by English architecture, especially at the time. But the home that was inspiration for this one was a much smaller home in Forest Hill Village near where my office is. And it was a much smaller home that had beautiful brickwork. And the mid-band was homage to that house in Forest Hill. Way to describe it is an orange segment carving. It would have been done out of wood on the original house. And then these beautiful brick patterns, which you would see on other homes in Forest Hill Village, that really caught my eye. And nobody really replicates properly these days. In addition, the verge boards that were carved. Details like that on the old Tudor homes from the turn of the century in the revival of these styles are always left out. So we really wanted to do it correctly on this home and the homeowner spent extra money to do it properly and more authentic. Subsequent to that, there were quasi replicas of this house that popped up. People in Toronto, when they see something they like, they start emulating it. But I don't take it as a fence. I take it as a form of compliment. I didn't invent anything here. I was borrowing from a house that I liked and borrowing details from architecture styles that I like. And I do it with any style, whether it be modern or Georgian or French provincial. I like to use the most authentic details that clients will allow us to afford. So was there ever any question then in your mind that this house could be something other than brick? There were examples that I looked at as well, where the second floor, rather than brick, you could do some of these patterns in stone, but red brick was dear to the owner's liking. And I don't think there was really another option. And in the sides and rear of the house, there's a stone skirt that wraps around the house, but the rest of the house is brick. And while many people do a front out of all stone, sides and rear out of brick, it allowed us to tie the brick in all the way around the house. What I think is really pretty, when you look at the exterior gables, the half-timber construction has become stone. Talk a little bit about that, and where have you seen that in the past? There were some examples I've seen in the city, but for the most part, you know, even on a lot of the houses we do that are Tudor, but we'll have a cornice detail. Our winters are harsh, our weather is harsh, our summers are hot and sticky, and we have extremes. The thought of painting wood timbers, half-timbers, every now and then was not something the homeowner wanted to do. So we suggested doing them out of stone and there's no maintenance. So we've done that a couple of times just to cut down on maintenance. There are some parts that are wood, but not a lot on this house. The stone details on this home are absolutely stunning. This carved front entry, the left and right, they did these little custom roses after your name. Now, where did you find somebody that does that? I mean, unbelievable. Funny enough, little story about the limestone on this house. It came from Indiana and was horrible. Uh, what I learned during this house is that Indiana supplies great stone, but in the future, I would never let them cut the stone. We have some great stonemasons in Toronto. We actually had to have some of them fix up the stone that was originally carved in Indiana. 
But nowadays, we ship the blocks up from Indiana and everything is carved here. I learned that on this house. So we have tons of great carvers here. The guy who did this house was Romanian and he worked for Ceausescu back in the day in communist Romania. And so a lot of great talent from Europe. Toronto's a melting pot, as is Canada, of people from all over the world. So there's no shortage of great tradespeople. Although I shouldn't say that as they're aging, those artisans, the children do not want to follow in their parents' footsteps. So I hope it won't be a lost art, but that's where the CNC machines of today, computers are allowing us to maybe still allow for those carved rosettes. So did you have any challenges finding a good brick mason? No, in fact, here Gino Gentili had always been one of the best masons in Toronto. And I asked him to take care of doing masonry here. Usually mostly stone. He didn't really want to do the brick, but when he saw the intricate brick patterns, he agreed to do brickwork as well. So Lauren, we were just talking about the brick. Could you tell us a little bit about the color and whether or not it was a special mixture? Yeah, at the time I was dealing with a gentleman named Isaac Raposo from King Masonry now. He had an idea. We worked with Isaac for years at King Masonry and other companies he worked at. He was passionate about brick and stone. So he said to me, Lauren, I got this special brick that's being used at a university in the United States, and it's Glengarry brick, and it's 85% Shenandoah and 15% called 53DD that's being used at a university. It had a nice tonal range, some fire bricks in there, so it wasn't all flat coloring, great deal of variation on the brick. And I said, great, let's do it. Isaac was instrumental in suggesting that brick and had other clients have used a similar mix. So were there any unique construction details using masonry or brick on the home? Anything that you had never done before? Anything that you do a lot? This was the first time that I used the stone boards, so to speak, that I have to bring. And it was the first time I believe that I've done these different brick patterns on a house. So it was challenging for the masons. I remember calls about how do you want to deal with this? And even on the stonework, we had some smoother blocks, but I wanted them chiseled with different patterns on them. Really authentic stuff. Didn't want perfectly aligned joints. I wanted it a little bit, I call it messy, but when it's done perfectly linear, you can spend the money on real stone. It doesn't look real because it's so perfectly laid up. Bellies were put on a lot of the stones, chipping the edges off. It's a little bit of a messier joint, Gino, and I like to call it a rug joint. I was particular about the laying of the stone and the brick, and I'm quite happy with the way it turned out. The chimneys are quite detailed with uh, different brick patterns as well, and limestone caps. One of the things I like to do is put superior clay chimney pots on, jumbo ones. One of the details I loved in traveling in England is they would have many chimneys and different clay pots on top of each. Normally on our homes, we put two of the same. I wanted to do something a little more British and mix them up so each chimney has two different pots on it, just for fun. So when it comes to a lot of these details, brick coursing, et cetera, do you guys end up doing a lot of a variety of drawings, a series of iterations, looking at different patterns and then go out into the field and look at examples that the mason puts together? How do you guys do that? That sounds a little more romantic than how it actually happened. <laughs> I do have some great books on 
brickwork that I did reference, but it was more the Mason, Gino and I just sitting out there and discussing them and looking at what we could really do. Not quite as romantic as drawing it all. Yeah, but it's a little more authentic in terms of how we used to do things as architects, right? Walk out onto the site and you tell people what to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Gino was up for the challenge. We laid them out on the ground just to verify. I had ideas of what I wanted, but we didn't actually draw them out. So when you drew the building, are you guys using CAD? Are you drawing in 2D? Are you drawing in 3D? I'm a little bit of a dinosaur. I'm the only one in my office who doesn't use AutoCAD. We now use Revit as well. I know how to use it, but every time I go near the computer, the staff tell me to get away from it. I have some very talented staff. One staff member has been with me in 23 years. They sort of know how I think. That makes the office much more efficient. So I'm sure Toronto has rules about energy efficiency. Was sustainability an issue when you built the home in terms of the wall cavities, et cetera? There were some things that we did here differently. I think our energy efficiency rules came into play a little bit more after this house went in for permit. But one of the things differently done here is normally homes are done with fiberglass bat insulation in the walls. In this case, we did two inches of two-pound spray foam against the plywood, more airtight and a higher insulation. Once you go over four inches of spray foam, the added impact of going to six inches is not necessarily worthy. So we did two inches of spray foam and then three and a half inches of fiberglass paint insulation to give us a little bit higher our value. At the time, the spray foam thing was relatively new and the building department wasn't sure if there was still a void, how to deal with it. Like you still needed vapor barrier. You don't necessarily need it anymore. We did a blended version and the building department accepted it. Still liked the system. It was a cost-effective way to get the air tightness and fill the void, get insulation values. Nowadays, where Canada is moving more to at least one-inch exterior insulation and airspace than brick, our next building code will probably make that mandatory. And that way you don't lose as much thermal value through the stud cavities. So I know you do a lot of homes. Was there anything that you or your team learned during the process of building this one, designing it and having it built? Yes. When you specify certain floor joists, don't let the lumber yard convince you to use a different kind of floor joist. <laughs> there was a few problems with that. But aside from that, things went relatively smooth. Urban Innovations built the home and did a great job. One of the things we did that was unique here, I like skylights a lot, but I don't like looking up through a skylight well and seeing the clouds move. So we do these lenses, frosted lenses. They look great, except they can get bugs on them. So there's a mechanical room in the, in the roof here. So through access to the mechanical room, there's a little boardwalk where the homeowner can actually open up a door and vacuum the bugs off of the skylight lens. Just to get rid of those bugs. I don't know how the bugs get in there, but they do. You look up, you don't want to see bugs. That's great. Very creative. Spoken just like an architect. So you've been an architect for a long time. If you could give your younger self some career advice, what would it be? Wow. We're always learning as architects. That's a great question. It's not an uncommon question, but I've never really thought about it. I'm passionate. I love architectural history, and I learned a lot from it. You know, when I went to college, architectural history was a class I had to take 
And it wasn't something that I really enjoyed. And ultimately, I ended up with a YouTube channel. And all I do, or most of what I did for many years, is make videos about historical architecture, right? So you never really know when you're going to use that information and how passionate you might become about something. It would seem to me, looking at the breadth of the work that you've done online, that you've got a really nice historical background that you're utilizing all the time. And it would seem to me... If I was the younger you, I'd say to you, look, man, pay attention because you're going to be using all this information someday. So it's interesting you said that architecture school was great. And the worst part about architecture history, which I loved, was that it was an 8 a.m. class, which any college students know was awful. And it was like three times a week. And you'd go to this class, tired as can be. And the first thing they do is turn off the lights and show you slides. <laughs> so it was hard to stay awake. But... I never anticipated the stuff that I did at Ohio State, which was influenced by Peter Eisenman, who was there at the time, was nothing traditional. And just like I say to any budding architect, just pay attention to trigonometry because you do use it. Toronto is a very traditional city. If I had lived in another city, I might have done more modern architecture in my career. Now we're doing a ton of it, and I love it. But just like you know, Picasso was a classical painter before he did what he did, the traditional architecture and studying the masters in scale and proportion. That's the talent that somebody gave me that I can see scale and proportion. I learned it through architecture styles, and then you can apply that to any style. So I think that's paying attention in those classes, as hard as they were when the lights were out, really made a difference in my career. Lauren, it's been great to have you here. Thanks for your time. Where can people go to learn more about Lauren Rose Architect, Inc., and yourself? LaurenRose.com, and it's not a popular name in the United States. It was very popular in Canada in the 60s. Uh, it's L-O-R-N-E-R-O-S-E.com. Are you guys on Instagram? We are. I have to say I'm terrible at social media, and I should be doing more because a lot of Americans have reached out based on some of the social media. I need to concentrate more on it. But yes, I am on Instagram at Lauren Mozart. So yeah, please look us up. Well, it sounds like you're very busy. It was wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for your time, Lauren. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening. If you learned something today, share this episode with a friend and give us a rating. And review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. If you want to find out more about today's project, visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault. That's G-L-E-N-G-E-R-Y dot com forward slash design dash vault. Want even more inspiration? Take a look around glengarry.com while you're there. Glengarry is one of the nation's largest brick manufacturers and an industry leader for its diversified product line of more than 600 brick products. With inspiring photos, useful resources, easy search tools, helpful design studios, and more. I'm sure you'll find the inspiration you need to stretch your imagination.